Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning, the title of the message is The Place of Honor, continuing in our series on honoring God. Please enjoy. I've enjoyed this up to this point. Um, we're going to, if you have your places in Proverbs 18 and verse 12, one last time, I'm going to ask you to stand respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're just going to read one verse, pray, and then sit back down. The Bible says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Let's read that verse one more time. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. The title of the message this morning, The Place of Honor. The Place of Honor. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless us this morning. I pray that you would show us this place of honor. Lord, I pray that you'd speak through us, speak to us through your word, through the scriptures today. Holy Spirit, get a hold of our hearts. Teach us something. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when I was getting ready to go to my uh, buddy Robert's wedding, I was in the, in the uh, wedding party. He lived up in Memphis. I lived in Macomb. I had to go get fitted for a tux. So we had to, he had a, a bunch of his groomsmen were kind of all over the country. So he had to go to kind of a place where more, uh, kind of a national place. So the place he chose was Men's Warehouse. So I had to drive to Hattiesburg and get fitted at a Men's Warehouse. So I, it's not like I didn't know where Hattiesburg was. I, of course, I know where Hattiesburg is. But I put it in my GPS anyway because I just like that. We're, we're so spoiled today. Because the GPS will tell me, you know, it'll tell me what time I'm going to get there, how long it's going to take, and, you know, it's just, I just enjoy it. So I put it in the GPS, and I'm driving to Hattiesburg. I'm going to Men's Warehouse, and everything's going good. And I, I get in Hattiesburg, and then it starts to take me down a residential street. Now, I'm honest, 100% honest. At this point, I'm still unquestioning. I am believing in blind faith, this GPS, if Men's Warehouse is down this residential street, that's where Men's Warehouse is, okay? So I am just believing that GPS. And it wasn't until I pulled up into this big white house that I realized my GPS was wrong. And so I whipped into the driveway to turn around, and right as I got in the driveway, the owners of the house came out. And they stared at me like I was a serial killer. And so they, I rolled my window down, and I stick my head out the door, and I explained what happened, how the men's warehouse GPS brought me here. I'm not a serial killer. And they immediately started laughing because apparently this was not the first time this had happened. Several people had come to their house thinking that it was men's warehouse. You know, sometimes we follow a GPS and we follow a map with good intentions, yet we still end up in the wrong place. We still end up in the wrong place despite our best intentions. When it comes to honor, 
We often feel that we're in the right place. But when we reevaluate, we find out that we're not. After an honest evaluation, we find out that in fact we have honored ourselves. Uh, the Bible says in John 5:44, Jesus said, How can ye believe which receiveth honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, and he's saying, Guys, look, you're looking for honor, but you're looking for it in the wrong place. True honor, true honor doesn't come from each other. True honor comes from God. It's the only place it can come from. It's the only source of true honor. It must come from God. Everything has a prelude. Everything has a prelude. That's why I like the music playing before the service. I like the prelude, you know. Uh, we had a lady in our church, Miss Debbie, and, you know, without fail, five minutes before the service started, uh, actually, it was 10 minutes. 10 minutes before the service started, she got up there and she started playing. And then it's because everything has a prelude. Um, pride has uh, destruction has a prelude. You know what that is? Pride. Because pride cometh before destruction. But you know what? Before honor comes humility. The prelude to honor is humility. I can find true honor in no other way than to proceed it with my honor to God. If I want God to honor me, I have to honor God. There's no other way to get true honor. There's no other way to do it. Turn your Bibles to Mark 10. Turn to Mark 10 for me, please. We often have a false perception of what it is that God is calling us to be. Now, thankfully, Jesus mercifully and gently dealt with his disciples regarding this matter of their pride. And in doing so, he created a true pattern for us to follow for greatness. In Mark chapter 10, we're going to get, begin reading in verse 32. Now, this story, it just kind of floors me. And I'm just, I'm just thinking, what in the world are these disciples thinking? What is going on in their brain? But we're going to read it. Mark chapter 10, begin reading in verse number 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto them, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand, and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. Let me tell you how, ter how terribly blinding that pride is. Pride is so terribly blinding that Jesus is explaining to these disciples the most significant event 
in human history, the most significant event in all of mankind, and they're dealing with pride so much that the only thing they can think about is their own significance. That's how blinding pride is. Now, Jesus, in a roundabout way, proceeded to call them some knuckleheads, okay? Uh, but Jesus changes gears here, and he starts to speak to them. And, by the way, more patience than I would have had with them, okay? More patience than I would have had, but he begins to give them instruction. Skip down to verse 42. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be, that means desire to be, great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I want you to see this morning that what Jesus didn't do is he didn't directly condemn their desire for greatness. That's not what he did. He didn't condemn their desire for greatness. He gave them another avenue to achieve that greatness. Okay? He didn't stifle their ambition. He redirected their ambition. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a coach. A coach that uh, is, is with the team in the locker room. And the, the, the teammates are getting a little too aggressive with each other. And so the coach says, hey, hey, break that up. Save it for the field. Save it for the game. Aggression is good when used in the right way. Ambition is good when used in the right way. And all Jesus did with his disciples here, you've got ambition, but you're going the wrong way about it. Let me help you. Let me show you the right way to use your ambition. He didn't quench their ambition. He just showed them the right way to achieve their goals. Yes, James and John, at this point, they had already went out and preached. They had went out already and performed miracles. They had done sacrifices. They had became leaders among the disciples. But, but, they had not yet found a place of true honor. And Jesus showed them that. Jesus showed them, look, you've done all this stuff. You're, you're leaders among the disciples. You've preached miracles, whatnot, but you haven't got real honor yet. Because he pointed out to them that they were laying down their lives, not for others, but they were laying down their lives for themselves. So they could be on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. But Jesus showed them, look, you don't have real honor. Because real honor is not about you. Real honor is about other people. You are not going to get true honor from God if your life is all wrapped up in you, I, and me. In self. You're not going to get real honor from God like that. Even today we find, we find ourselves motivated by self-interest, self-indulgence, and self-honor. We have a false sense of self-sufficiency and pursue selfish ambition for the purpose of self-glorification. We often serve others 
but it's for the honor of ourselves. But we mask it in service to God. But in reality, it's nothing more than a fleshly attempt to appear to be something that we are not. Question. What is the opposite of humility? One would say pride, arrogance. Do you ever think about what the source of pride is? I think the source of pride is ignorance. Ignorance of who God really is and ignorance of who I really am. If I really knew who God was and if I really knew where, where, I, where I stood on that scale, I would not be prideful. Ignorance of that is the reason why I am prideful. The product of ignorance is pride. Let me read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon, what he said about pride. I might paint it as being the worst malformation of all the monstrous things in creation. It hath nothing lovely in it, nothing in proportion, but everything in disorder. It is altogether the very reverse of creatures which God hath made, which are pure and holy. Pride, the firstborn son of hell, is indeed like its parent, all unclean and vile, and in it there is neither form, fashion, nor comeliness. Now in the same message, Charles Spurgeon goes on to describe pride as a groundless thing, a brainless thing, the maddest thing, and an unstable and uncertain thing. So what do we know this morning? We know there is no way that we can honor God and in that Him honor us the only way we can do this is by humbling ourselves. It's the only way we can do it. So we're going to talk about this morning, this place of honor. Where is it? Where is it on a map? How do I get there? How do I get to this place of true honor? I've got some tips on how to get there. And to be honest with you, it's not exactly where you think it would be. It's not. Number one this morning... The place of honor begins at the bottom and not the top. It begins at the bottom and not the top. Let me read for you Luke 14, and I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture to you this morning. Luke 14, verses 10 and 11. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he had that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. When we are at that low place in our lives, and we all get there from time to time, we get in that low place. Sometimes we just want to be noticed for when we go up higher. Oh, I'm down here, but I want you to see me down here. So when I come out of this, you'll be, I'll get that recognition. Oh, and we're, when we're down in that low place, man, we're miserable. And we want everybody to know it. You ever ask somebody how their day is going? You stop asking them because they always tell you. They always tell you how bad their day is. And, you know, they, you know they're always in that. All, something always is going on. So you just quit asking them. But the thing is, is that, you know, they're down there in this low place and they're so miserable and you can see it on their face how miserable they are. But you know what you should do? What you should do when you're in that low place is embrace it with joy. Embrace that low place with joy. You mean to tell me 
You mean to tell me that, that surely you don't have such a high opinion of yourself that you think you don't deserve that? You, you don't have, you don't tell me that you have such a high of opinion of yourself that you think you don't deserve to be down there. To be honest, we probably deserve a lot less than that. When you seek honor for yourself, you will be abased. What that means, that means you will be humbled. A Christian can either choose to be humble or they can be humbled. I would rather be humble than be humbled. You see, here's another thing I want to talk about. What about if the humility is fake? Let's talk a minute about fake humility. You know what this is? Fake humility is someone that chooses the low place and they act all meek and humble, but it's just so other people can notice how humble they are. That's all it is. This is a form of spiritual pride, and it's very dangerous. You know what the earmarks of it is? The earmarks of this spiritual pride is somebody who always poor mouths. Somebody who always poor mouths, and also, and also drama seekers. We all know drama seekers. Drama seekers are here. It's just kind of a false, woe is me, just so you can look at me. Not that you have an actual real problem. You're magnifying your problems greater than they are just so you get the attention, just so you get the recognition. And what did Jesus say about getting attention, about getting recognition? You have your reward. If you get that recognition and you get that attention that you're so desperately seeking, that's all you've got. You don't have anything else. You have your reward at that point. And a lot of times it works. People seeking after that attention and seeking after that recognition, it works. And they get that position and they get that recognition. And they may even say, oh, it was the Lord that did it. It was the Lord that did it. But in our hearts, we know in our hearts, the reason why we got that recognition and why we got that position is because we calculated and we schemed and we grasped for it and we got it on our own. God didn't give it to us and we know it. George MacDonald said, And whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Luke 1.52 he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Nobody had a more right to teach on this subject of humility than Jesus. Because he was a prime example of someone who deserved the highest seat, but chose the lowest seat. And because he chose the lowest seat, he was put into the highest seat. He has more right to teach on this subject than anybody else on the planet. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king and stand not in the place of great men. For better is it that it should be said unto thee, Come up thither, that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. What is going on here? Let me, let me, let me explain what's going on. Basically what's going on is you've been invited to the king's banquet. You have been invited to the king's banquet and you walk up in there and you think to yourself, where am I going to sit? Don't go sit at the most honored table. 
Don't go sit at the closest to the king you can get, at the best table, at the best seat in the whole place. Don't go sit there. Instead, you know where you should sit? You should sit by, by, at that back table in the back. You should sit at that table by the kitchen that nobody wants. You should sit at the table by the bathroom that no, nobody wants, nobody wants that, 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 that table there. But that's where you should sit. Because it would be better for someone to come to you and say, you know what? You don't, you don't need to be sitting back here. Let me move you. Let me come put you a little closer to the front. This is where you need to be. That's better than if you go sit at the head of the banquet and somebody come to you and say, um, excuse me, this table's reserved for somebody more important. This table's reserved for somebody else. Um, you need to move. And so you get up in front of the king, in front of everybody, and do the walk of shame. That's basically what this scripture is telling us. Humility is defined as an accurate view of oneself. An accurate view of oneself. Look, John the Baptist was a powerful man, but he understood who Jesus really was. And he, I'll show you how he understood it. Luke 3, 15 and 16. And as the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Shoes in Middle Eastern cultures... Are, are very unclean. Shoes are unclean in our house. It's, you know, the boys have to put their shoes off somewhere else where we can't smell them, okay? But, but shoes in Middle Eastern culture are very, and let me start on Miss Emily's shoes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but shoes in Middle Eastern culture are very, very unclean. So does anybody remember the video of George, Bush, George W. Bush over there, and this guy took a shoe off and chunked it at him, and he ducked and missed it, and they missed him both times. Well, the reason why that happened, because even still today, the highest condemnation that you can give somebody is to take the shoe off, and, and even if you never get the shoe back, is to take your shoe off and throw it at somebody. It is the highest condemnation that you can give because shoes are so incredibly unclean. To the point where the rabbis back in Jesus' day, they, when they had students, when these rabbis had students and followers, they just like would make them do anything, any menial task, go get me a glass of tea, go do this. They would make these followers do anything except, except take their shoes off. Because even the rabbis knew that the followers were too good to take off the shoes. You know what John said? John said, I'm not too good to take off the shoe. I'm not worthy enough to take off the shoe. John knew where he, where he was on the hierarchy. John knew where he was, and John knew where Jesus is, and that's why he didn't have any pride. He wasn't ignorant of that fact. Last week we spoke on honoring God in hard times, even in our affliction. 
And it is often through these hard times that God does this work of breaking us down. And he does this in what's called the fire, the furnace of affliction. It may be that the reason why we are in this furnace of affliction is to prepare us for a place of honor. At times, you may have wondered, what is God doing to me? Man, it seems like everything I touch turns to dirt. It's like, God, I have no good success in anything I do. It's almost like God is against me. Could it be that you remain unbroken in God's attempts to humble you? Could it be that God's attempts to exalt you are thwarted by our attempts to exalt ourselves? Allow yourself to be instructed by God. Allow yourself to be broken by God. Allow yourself to be rebuilt by the only one who can give us true honor. Proverbs 15:33, "The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility." Where is this place of honor? Number two. The place of honor begins with service. The place of honor begins with service. Matthew 23, 11 and 12. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whomsoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he shall humble himself shall be exalted. Who doesn't like to be served? I, I like to be served. Listen, every waiter or waitress that serves me, I'm going to give a good tip to, even if they weren't that good of a waiter or waitress. They're going to get a good tip from me. I promise you they are. My wife worked at a restaurant when we got started, and when she told me how much waiters and waitresses make, I was like, what? You know, I mean, I was like, I was like oh, tip, you know. And when she told me that, I had no idea how much they make. So, I mean, I mean back then it was 2 3 $4 an hour, and that's crazy. You know, so when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, we need to tip good. And, and uh, so, I mean, we always, in Mississippi, the tax is 7%. So I do 15. So I double the tax and add a dollar. That's my standard, my standard tip. Now, if, some, if the service is really, really good, then they're going to get a really, really good tip. And there's some things that go into that in consideration. Number one, how long is my tea glass empty? How long does it take me to get the A1 steak sauce that I asked for? Um, uh, you know, um, uh, how polite are they to me? Leaving a tea pitcher on the table is extra points. They're anticipating my needs, you know? So this is all, these are all good things. And so everybody loves to be waited on, but not everybody loves to do the waiting. Not everybody loves to do the serving. In the flesh... We determine greatness by how people serve and honor us. But in Jesus, we determine greatness by how we serve and honor other people. And how did Jesus prove this? By stooping down and washing the disciples' feet. You remember when I told you how low it was and how lowly Middle Eastern people Think of the shoe and the foot and how unclean it is. And even in that, Jesus stooped down and washed his disciples' feet. It was the absolute lowest thing that Jesus could do. 
Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Whose feet are you washing today? Whose feet are you washing today? Outside of your immediate family, whose feet are you washing today? Who are you serving today? You cannot honor God, and God cannot honor you if you are not willing to serve someone other than yourself and your kids don't count because everybody serves their kids. Everybody lives for their kids. Your kids are an extension of yourself, okay? Uh, lost people serve and help their kids. But you know what a lost person can't do? A lost person does not have the ability to love someone more than they love themselves. That is something that only comes with the Spirit of God. That is not something that is only available to a Christian. It is something that is only available to someone, the Holy Spirit. Unless you have the Holy Spirit in your life and in your heart, you cannot love somebody more than you love yourself. So are we doing that today? We have that ability. We have that ability as Christians to love somebody else more than we love ourselves. And are we doing it? Whose feet are we washing today? Who are we serving today? You want honor? You want the real place of honor? You got to serve. You got to serve. You got to get out there. I have said this from this pulpit more times than I can count. I will continue to say it until I am no longer your pastor. I can no longer talk. Every Christian in this church must, needs to have a ministry. I can't force you to do that. I can't make you do that. But you have to have a way in which you serve other people. No other way to get to that place of true honor. Whose feet are you washing today? Who are you serving? Number three, the place of humility comes with many advantages. The place of humility comes with many advantages. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Luke 18, 44, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. Think for a moment. What are some things that are available to people who walk humbly before God? I've got some answers for you. Number one, God lives with the humble. God lives with the humble. Let me read for you Isaiah 15, uh, 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. You know what contrite means? It means broken, crushed, beaten, small, trodden down. Did you know when you go through severe trials in your life that you have the ability to get closer to God than most people around you? You can get closer to God. And did you know that when God lives with the humble, he revives the spirit? He revives the heart. You know what that means? It means to make alive again. Think about a plant, a poor, drooping plant that Brother Brett was supposed to take care of, but he, he, he didn't, and now it's all droopy. But you put water in it, and you put it in the window to get some sunshine, and it just comes back to life. 
That's what being humble is like. God lives with you. Number two, God listens to the requests of the humble. God listens to the requests of the humble. Second Chronicles 34, 27. Because thine heart was tender and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Psalms 9, 12. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have you ever noticed when something of you and they're very rude and they're very abrupt and uh, they're not very nice? Have you ever noticed how you're a lot likely not to give in to their request? You ever noticed? I've noticed that at my work, at my job, somebody's very rude to do what they're asking me to do. That. When somebody's nice to you and polite to you, even if they're not exactly, even if they're in the wrong, even if they're not exactly right, but they're nice and they're polite and they're pleasant, how even if they're not in the right place, you're still willing to help them? God's no different in that respect. God's the same as us in that respect. Number three, the humble are recipients of more grace. The humble are recipients of more grace. I taught on this a while back. I'll refresh your memory on it. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I taught on this, uh, uh, I think maybe last year. But the thing is, is that when you need grace in your life, say you need some grace in your life to get over temptation or to get over a sin maybe in your life and you need more grace whatever the reason for when you need more grace you have a measure that you can get from god whether that be a thimble or let's just say a cup say you have a cup is your measure and when you ask god for grace he takes your cup and he goes into the vast, endless ocean of his grace. He dips that cup into that ocean of grace, comes over and gives it to you. Now you can ask for as much as you want. The ocean is endless. It's empty. It's limitless. As many times as you want to, you can go to God and he'll get that measure of grace and he'll bring it to you. And you go to God the next time and he'll get that measure of grace and he'll give it to you. But the thing is, the scripture teaches that we all have a certain measure that we have. And the only person who had, didn't have a measure was Jesus. Jesus was the only one in the scripture who didn't have a limiter on, his, on the measure of grace. And that was the only way he could accomplish what he needed to accomplish. But, the old, but we all have a measure. Now we can go back to God anytime we want to and get as much as we want to. But we only have a certain measure we get from God. So here's the question. How do we make that cup bigger? How do we go from one cup to a quart? How do we go from a quart to a half gallon? How do we make that measure bigger? The only way that I have found in this book to make our measure of grace bigger is humility because he gives more grace to the humble. You see, the more humble you are, the more grace you get from God. That is an advantage of being humble. Number four, he exalts, lifts up, and promotes the humble. He exalts, lifts up, and promotes the humble. Matthew 23, 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. 
James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Stop telling God you deserve more. Start telling him that you don't deserve what you have currently and then he'll give you more. Number five, he considers the humble to be truly great. He considers the humble to be truly great. Matthew 18, 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then number six, it is a prerequisite for true riches, honor, and fullness of life. It is a prerequisite for true riches, honor, and fullness of life. Let me read for you Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now, people of the day, back in the Bible day, these were the things that they sought after. They sought after honor, and they sought after riches, and they sought after long life. But this isn't a prosperity, this isn't a prosperity gospel. It's like being humble is the key to being the next Dave Ramsey. That, that's not the point of it here. What this is, is these are spiritual riches. Okay, because listen, there are rich people that are not humble and do not fear the Lord. Okay, you know what else there are? There are also rich people who commit suicide. Man, if money makes you happy, why do so many millionaires end their life? Because that's not true. This is, this is spiritual riches. Spiritual riches is the only way to be truly happy. And then finally, number four this morning... How can I develop true humility? I'm fixing, here's a recipe right here. I'm fixing to give you a five-step recipe to develop true humility in your life. And I'm just going to read off the list to you. Number one, look to serve instead of to be served. Look to serve instead of to be served. Don't come to church looking what you can get out of it. Come to church trying to learn how to give to others. Number two, stay fresh in your relationship with God. Stay fresh in your relationship with God. Nothing breeds hardness of soul like a stale relationship with God. Number three, find no service too menial for you to do. Find no service too menial for you to do. Number four, Look for opportunities to serve that no one will know but God. Find a way to serve that nobody knows about. If you want to give something to somebody, give it to them, but don't sign your name to it. Spend, send somebody a check, or not a check, it's got your name on it. Send somebody some cash, and don't let them know who sent it to them. Give somebody something but don't sign your name to it. That's how you find true humility. Number five, take the lowest position first. Take the lowest position first. To be humble means that I know my worth is nothing apart from the value of Christ that is in me. In college, I had a 1989 Dodge Diesel Straight Six Turbo Cummins. I loved my diesel truck. Loved it. I was, uh, <laughs> so I'll tell you how much I loved it, and then I'll tell you I broke down. But I broke down the side of the road, and it was, it was towed back to a, a man in my church, and I went to, he had a record company. His name was Stan Carr. 
And I went to, he's with the Lord now, but I went to Brother Stan Carr's place and I was talking to him and he reached in his pocket and he grabbed $5,000 cash and he put that in my hand. Now my truck was broken down. He put $5,000 cash in my hand and said, Brett, I want to buy that truck. If it was my truck, it would be gone. Because I loved it, but man, 5,000 cash is a different story, okay? So I love that truck, but 5,000 cash, if it would have been in my name, it would have been gone, okay? But it's in my dad's name at the time, and I called him and begged him and pleaded for him, but he would not let me sell that truck. So I had to keep it. Later on at church, Brother Stan come to me and he said, Brett, here's what I was going to do. That truck is actually bringing down the value of that engine. I could take that truck that I offered you $5,000 for. I could pull that engine out of that truck, sell that engine for $10,000. See, the truck was bringing down the value of what was in it because what was in it was way more valuable. God always seems to be choosing instruments that are obviously unimpressive. But what does this do? This magnifies the master that he can make something of value from that which is obviously not, apart from him, any value whatsoever. Let me read for you a poem. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bid, good folk?' he cried. "'Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar?' A dollar, now two, only two, two dollars, who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin as he held it up with the bow? A thousand dollars, who will make two? Two, two thousand, who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Three thousand and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some exclaimed, we don't quite understand. What changed it worth? What changed its worth? And the answer came, "'Twas the touch of the master's hand. Many a man with soul out of tune and battered and scarred by sin is auctioned cheap by the thoughtless crowd, just like the old violin. But the master comes and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand." Let me read for you. Let me close today by reading a couple verses. Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Christian, Christian, 
I got a choice for you. Every Christian in here, you have a choice. You can either be humble or be humbled. It's your choice. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, I pray that we would come to you in humility. Lord, come to you in humility and that you would bless us and teach us and purge our pride from us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and be with our invitation. Help us to find that true place of honor, Lord, the only way that you will honor us is if we honor you. Help us to honor you today. In Jesus' name. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. When the music begins to play, you do what the Lord has laid on your heart. Now listen, today's Father's Day. So wives, when you get home, daddy needs a shoulder rub. Kids, daddy needs his, his feet rubbed. Okay, so get in there good, get in there deep, rub those feet, and, uh, and uh, tell your dad, thank you for being your dad. I want to thank you for coming to church today. Thank you for being here. I pray that you have a good rest of the day and that God brings you back at your appointed hour. Thank you very much. Uh, Brother Junior Bauer, will you dismiss us, please?